This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. Twenty-four hours a day at oasiscityradio.com. Tune in, iHeartRadio, and the Oasis City Radio app. This is Oasis City Radio music. Oasis City Radio. And tides that was given today. We thank you for your goodness, and we we love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, we pray all this. And in Guatemala, they say, "En nombre de Jesús." Amen. Amen. Let's uh, welcome uh, Pastor Adam as he uh, brings the word of God. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Adam. Thank you, Jake. So appreciate you. So excited to hear the rest of the testimonies that happened in Guatemala. And, and uh, hey, can you show your appreciation? Craig and Marcella Conley are our lead deacons. And so they lead our team of deacons uh, every week in, in serving the church. They serve the church. They create a culture uh, of serving at Oasis City Church and serve the needs of the body and needs of the church. And so thankful for them and their leadership. Can you just give it up to this amazing couple? We love you guys. We're so glad you're part of Oasis City and so thankful for you and, and what you've done. And, um, you know, many of us come into Oasis City and we, and we love the worship, you know. Few of us even love the preaching, but but it's really it's really the church is a people. We are the church. Uh, it's one another, and uh, and it was one of the greatest tactics of the enemy during the pandemic to separate and divide to scatter the church. And uh, so some of us are are delayed in coming back. But let me encourage you: uh, you being here is significant. It's significant because being part of the body, connected to the body, is an integral part of following Jesus. It's what we have to do. Jesus came, demonstrated the kingdom, brought the kingdom of heaven here to earth, and then he handed it to us, to the church. And he said, now you do it. And guess what? You've got to show up to, to do your part. And so that's why we're here. I want to talk to it about a few, few moments. So pray for me. Cheyenne, pray for me. This, uh, I don't know what happened. We were at a conference all week. It was great. You think I preached all week? I didn't. Uh, I just woke up like this this morning, so pray for me. Got a little frog, whatever that is. It needs to go. It's one of those, one of those plague frogs, you know, that, come on, Jesus. Um, I got through first. So today may, may be a little brief. I'm just going to try to say what I need to say. Is that good? Are you ready? Open up the Bible to Acts chapter 1. So excited to be able to share with you. So good to see so many of your faces. Uh, Pastor Bill and Lynn, of course, are in Pittsburgh today. We, they... They led the conference that was their presence conference all week. Uh, the conference they the at Covenant Church has done for about thirty or forty years, and uh, it was an incredible time. And they call it presence for reasons because the presence changes everything. Presence changes everything. So today I want to talk to you about what it means to be presence people. We have to be presence people. We have to recognize that presence is what changes everything, um, and that doesn't just mean lifting our hands in worship and feeling good. It's much, much more. And uh, so I want to talk about this for a few minutes 
presence people. Acts chapter 1, are you there? Acts chapter 1, let's let's look at verse, uh, let's just go to verse 6. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He has ministered, he's preached, he's performed miracles for three years. He's crucified, buried, resurrected, and he spends 40 days with his disciples. And this is right before he goes and ascends to the Father. He tells them, that, uh, when they had come together, the disciples were asking him, asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? You read that again. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Speak truth to our lives today. Let your word bring forth fruit in our lives, much fruit, fruit that remains, that we might become more like you, that we might expand your kingdom and all the earth and accomplish your purpose for our lives, Lord. We say yes to you today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the disciples are there in, in the book of Acts. This is right before Pentecost. Pentecost is Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 1 is the end uh, right before Jesus ascends to the Father. And he gives these instructions to, to the disciples. But the disciples are, are stuck. Somebody say stuck. The disciples are stuck. Because Jesus is about to leave them. And they don't know what to do. Jesus has talked about the kingdom for three years and they don't understand what the kingdom is. Even after three years of him being with them in the presence of Jesus and talking about it, saying the kingdom of heaven is coming. And so here they are, are at the, at, at, right before Jesus ascends and, and they say to him, after he's raised from the dead, they're like, okay, it's really happening this time. Like now you're gonna establish your kingdom. And you have to understand that when they thought of the kingdom, they were thinking an earthly realm. Jesus was the son of David. He was the Messiah. Messiah, he was the, the Christ, the anointed one. He was the, as the son of the David, he was in the royal lineage. So they expected him to be king, like king of Israel, like David. So they had an expectation of what, how, how God was going to move and what it was going to look like. And so for three years, Jesus tells them, it's not anything like you think it's going to be. And he demonstrated the kingdom everywhere he went and he taught about the kingdom. And then after he is, he is crucified, buried, resurrected, he's getting ready to ascend to the Father and he's told them all about Holy Spirit and they still thinking old ways. They're still thinking, Jesus, is it right now? This is finally the moment where your kingdom's gonna happen and you snap your fingers and everything's made right. And I think there's a parallel with, with where the disciples were that we are at today. That we can easily get stuck in expecting God to do something a certain way. We can easily get stuck in expecting God and, and waiting on God, asking God to snap his fingers, to perform a miracle and make everything right in the earth. But I want to talk to you about presence people because presence people understand the way that God works. And I want us to look back at the Old Testament because how many of you know the Old Testament speaks to us today? So in the Old Testament, we know this, the story of the, of the man named Moses. Moses was, was the one who, what did Moses do? What's he famous for? I mean, he, we think he wrote the first five books of the Bible, right? Moses led the, the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. We see this in, in Exodus chapter 3. We see that uh, 
Moses is, is shepherding sheep. He's, he's in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Isn't it remarkable that like these people that God used spent time alone in the wilderness, like in seasons of complete anonymity when nobody knew them? They were leading sheep, not a million people. But it was preparation. God was doing things in him. And so we can't despise our seasons of preparation. Moses was being prepared. And so God had to show him things. And so there's a moment in Exodus chapter 3 where the bush begins to burn. And the scripture tells us that Moses turned aside to see. It's remarkable because there was something in Moses that said, this isn't normal. I got to check this out. I have to see. And so as he goes over, he hears the Lord and the voice of God coming out of the bush and he tells him that the the land that he's standing on is holy ground. Take off his shoes. And so that he stands there in worship. And so he recognizes he he is before God. Now hear me, he's not in church. They're actually, at this point, there ain't no temple. Like there's not one that exists. It doesn't exist. But he recognizes that, that, that God shows up to him in the splendor of his creation. And he speaks to him. And he, when he tells him to remove his shoes, it's remarkable because, we, you know, we understand this a little bit culturally because we think, wow, you know, there's something about like not getting, not getting dirt on somebody's floor. So when we go to their house, we take off our shoes out of respect, maybe. Uh, we understand it in, 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 in Muslim tradition. You can't go into a mosque with your shoes on because it's a, it's a holy place. So, they, so we take off our shoes. So we can see traditionally and culturally how, how this could represent something. But the thing that I want us to, to see here today is that, is that when Moses is standing in the middle of the wilderness, anybody ever been in a desert? I'll tell you what. You ever been to a park? <laughs> All right. Um, you ever gone barefoot in a park? You know, uh, it's, it's not always nice and easy. Moses is in the wilderness, all right? I mean, he's probably got like, you know, t- tarantulas and, and, and what are those things that the tail, the scorpions and the, and the snakes and the things around him. And, and God's speaking to him, he tells him to take his shoes off. So you think about it in that context. You know what that tells me? That tells me this. God was saying, Moses, I don't want you going anywhere. I want you to stay a while. Because for Moses to leave, he'd have had to put his shoes back on. I mean, he, he wasn't going to be prancing away from the bush without his sandals on, you know? So God was inviting him and saying, Moses, c- c- come, come a little closer. Come stay a little while. There was an invitation to Moses to know God more. And so God speaks to him. And right after he speaks to him in Exodus chapter 3, we see this uh, in verse 10. It says, therefore, come now. This is God speaking. He said, I will send you to Pharaoh. So that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So right after this encounter with God at the burning bush, Moses, in the presence of God, he all of a sudden, he discovers his purpose. And I'm here to tell you this, that that, that your purpose is found in the presence of God. If you're wondering, what has God called you to do? Who in the world am I? What, God, why am I here on this earth? What is it that this? I'm telling you, your purpose is found in the presence of God. God speaks to us. He, he reveals things to us. When you get in touch with the, the creator being, you find out why you're alive. When, when I purchase something, I go to the manual because the manual will tell me what it's designed for and how to fix it and how it works. When, 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 when we want to understand 
who we are, who God created us to be, we go to the creator. Because in, in relationship with the creator, we find out who we are. Some of us are wandering around through life, not knowing what, what on earth we're here for, what God has called us to do. And we're reading self-help books and we're watching every TV show that we can. And we're talking to people and we're not getting in touch with the creator of us who created us unique, who gave us a fingerprint that nobody else on the history of the world has ever had. He knows every one of our hairs by number. He's called us by name. Before, he, he, before we were even in our mother's womb, he formed us and created us and knew us. And so our purpose is found in relationship with God. So Moses discovers his purpose. And then God speaks to him again in, in, in chapter 4. God looks at Moses and he says, hey, what's in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. So God tells him, he says, you shall take your hands in your hands, this staff with which you shall perform the signs. And he sends him to Egypt with a staff because that's what he had in his hand. And then watch this in verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons and he mounted them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt. Now, wait a minute. Where else did this occur in scripture? Wait, the man got a donkey, he got his wife, he got his son, and he went to Egypt. This kind of sounds like Joseph and Mary and Jesus right after Jesus was born, doesn't it? So it's the same. You see, it's a picture. This is why we need to know the Old Testament. This is why we need to understand that it's the whole Bible because it points to Jesus. So when, when we read this, we say, that's awesome. And then we read about Jesus going down to Egypt. We're like, wait a minute. Didn't somebody else do that? Yeah, Moses did that. So, so G, Moses was a picture of Jesus. You see, because Moses, in so, in so many, 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 many other ways, but we see, and so Moses comes to represent for the, for the children of Israel salvation. God gives him a staff and he performs mighty signs and wonders and miracles with the staff that's in his hand and he, and he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, right? And kind of. He leads them out of Egypt into the desert they were in the desert for 40 years for 40 years why well it's been said that they left Egypt in a day but Egypt didn't get out of them for 40 years it took 40 years so you understand that there's this process of God saying listen I can't give you the promised land until you begin to act like and behave and think like a free man but you're still thinking like slaves. And so, so, so Moses takes them into the desert for 40 years. Why? Giving them the law, helping them teach them, this is what you should do. This is how you should act. This is what we have to do. Hey, guys, by the way, there's one true God. You know, in Egypt, there were so many. But he's saying, guys, there's one true God. And they kept forgetting. And so God would say, listen, I'm trying to get you in a promised land, but there's only one true God. And they kept backsliding and coming back. And so God had to work through this process with Moses. And then through that process, even Moses leaned on his staff too much. He became comfortable with it. And, and he came into a place where he became complacent. And so he began to use it as God had always used it. And one time God told him, speak to the rock. And he did what he'd done before. He hit it. And what happened? Well, he got water. But because of his disobedience and not leaning on God, listening to God, even Moses... He couldn't go into the promised land because of his disobedience. And so if Moses can rely on old ways, just being comfortable in the way that God is working, why is it that we can't either? 
Why do we think that we're, we're walking in stride and step with step with God when, when Moses forgot? You see, Moses had a protege. His name was Joshua. That's what I love about Joshua. The scripture tells us in Exodus 33, uh, Moses used to take the tent, pitch it outside the camp, and this was the tent of meeting. So this is before the tabernacle. He just had a tent where he would meet with God. Moses was going there face to face. But the scripture tells us in, in thir- verse, verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, would not depart from the tent. So here's the thing. Moses found a, a protege, a successor, who understood the presence of God. This is what's so important is that Joshua understood the presence of God. You see, Moses had this unique relationship. God spoke to him in the burning bush, and then God spoke to him again and again on the mountain. God's speaking to him face to face. But here's the thing. Joshua recognized the source of Moses' strength. The source of Moses' strength wasn't that he could speak well, wasn't that he performed miracles with all these things. It was his relationship with the Almighty God. And so Joshua recognized that, that, that the source of strength. So the scripture tells us that he wouldn't leave the tent. He would hang out with, with God in the tent. And it's this powerful truth that we see that we have to understand. So Joshua got it. And just as Tara said during worship, it's so important that we recognize the next generation. Like it's so important that that our experiences don't die with us. We have to tell the next generation what God has done in our lives and, and lead them into experiences with God themselves. Do you know Moses led the children of Israel. He poured his life into Joshua. Do you know what Joshua did? Joshua led so well. You know what he didn't do? He didn't raise anybody up. Joshua dies, and after Joshua dies, do you know what happens? The people did as they saw fit, as they saw what was right in their own eyes. Joshua was a great leader of Israel. He was a great leader, but he neglected the next generation. And because of his neglecting the next generation, do you know what happened? They, the children of Israel went into a cycle for hundreds of years of following God and then falling away of repenting and coming back and following away. And over and over again through the book of Judges, we see the scripture says, the people did, did as they saw fit or what was right in their own eyes. So we can't neglect the next generation. So Moses pours into Joshua. Joshua understands the presence of God. He understands that's, that's what it is. And, and Joshua discovers his purpose in the presence. And Joshua one, uh, he's told this by God, be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. And so here's what we notice the difference. Moses and Joshua were both great leaders, okay? They both had flaws, big flaws. But they, but they were both great leaders. And here what we see in Moses is Moses' calling was to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, right? So it's this picture of Jesus. Moses represented salvation. Uh, leading people out of the bondage of sin, out of the bondage of slavery, into life, into the promised land. Now, he didn't make it there because of his own sin, but he was leading them out. And so Moses represents salvation. But Joshua has a different purpose. And this is what we have to understand, church, that this is where I believe sometimes we get stuck, is that we have to recognize that there is more to the Christian life than salvation. Hear me. Some of us actually believe that the goal is to get to heaven. Some of us have a belief system in our mind that the purpose of our life is to one day get to heaven. And I'm telling you, if that's your purpose in life, you've completely missed the boat. Because if, if God's purpose for us was to get to heaven, 
then the moment anyone, any of us said the sinner's prayer, then he would take us right then. We'd be gone. Why? Because we arrived. We made it. But no, actually God gave us a purpose to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. So salvation is the first step, y'all. It's the first step. But here's my challenge to us is that we've got to get past this part. Some of us are stuck in this ideology of Moses and salvation. And the truth is, we're living in the desert without stepping into the promises of God. We saying, well, you know what? Praise God. I'm out of Egypt. Well, praise God I'm saved. He saved me. But I'm not walking in the fulfillment of what God has for me. I'm not walking in the possession of what God has in store for me. I'm just, but I'm happy. Thank God I'm saved. Some of us are looking at this. Some of us are looking at, at our lives and saying, okay, God, I, I, you know, when, when are you going to bring the manna? Hey, God, when are you going to feed me? God, where, where's the manna? Where's, and listen, the, the, the goodness and the grace of God, especially in our early walk with him, God just, he provides. Like he just blesses. Does anybody remember when they first got saved and God just like being like, here you go. You know what I mean? Like meeting needs and speaking to you, providing for you. But, you, but guess what? He loves you enough not to leave you in that place. How many of you know there's some food out there to eat that tastes a lot better than manna? But guess what? You got to work for it. You, you actually got to work for it. You actually got to grow a garden. You actually got to do something. You got you to raise some animals. You got you to do something to, to, to find that. That, that that's, that's true in life. We start off with milk, with a bottle. That's how we start. But if we're still drinking out of a bottle when we're grown... You know, your address is the insane asylum. They got you down there. There's something wrong. Uh, you, you know, there's not something missing. There's something not whole there. And, and some of us have to become content being saved from Egypt, but not walking in the promises of God. And so we have to look at the life of Joshua and say, okay, what was Joshua's purpose? Well, see, Joshua's purpose in Joshua 1, 6, and then verse 7, be strong and courageous... I'm sorry, verse, verse, we'll go, yeah, be strong and courageous. Verse six, for you shall give this people possession. Say possession. Possession, possession of the land which I for the presence. So if Moses' purpose was salvation, Joshua's purpose was possession. Huh. Yeah. Moses' purpose was salvation, was rescue, was salvation. Joshua's purpose was possession, was, was occupying, was taking over. Can I tell you something? This is the picture of the church. So when we read the scripture in Acts, here's where we understand Jesus. Moses is a picture of Jesus. Jesus comes. What does he do? He saves us from sin. He dies for us on the cross. He makes a way for us to be free from the bondage of sin, the bondage of slavery, and he brings us out of it into the promises that he's given us. And then we have to do something. And then we have to be Joshua and actually do something. So God gave Moses a staff. He performed mighty miracles. What did he give Joshua? What did Joshua have in his hand? Well, let me tell you, Joshua had a sword. Joshua's the one that fought all the battles in the book of Exodus. He fought the battles. He led the army of the, of the nation of Israel. He fought with a sword. So do you know when God gave them possession of the land, that land that he gave them, do you know what was in that land? A bunch of giants and a bunch of cities with big walls. Like the land was occupied. The promised land that God had given them was actually occupied by somebody else. And Joshua had to go in and occupy the land. Wow. He had to actually kill the enemy. 
he had to actually drive the enemy out of the promised land and go get it. Why do we think that in our Christian life that God just takes his magic wand and points it at it and just makes everything happen? You see, there are moments in our life where God performs miraculous things, where he makes a way where there is no way. But the majority of the way that God works is he says, I've given you a sword, now use it and go take possession. So, so the disciples in the book of Acts come to Jesus. He raised from the dead, and so they're like, okay, now it's time. Jesus, you ready to do it? What you gonna do now? We've seen you perform miracles, and then of all miracles, you just raised from the dead. So now you're gonna do your kingdom. We're gonna sit back and watch. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, no. He says, it's not for, no, for you to know these things. This is what he says. Let's look at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Let's look at verse 6. He says, At this time that you're restoring the kingdom of Israel, and he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8. But you will receive power. Who? But who? You. You. Jesus is saying, But you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you. Do you think he's trying to get the point across? He's saying, Guys, it ain't me at this time. It's you. He's saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. This is what Jesus said. So Jesus is saying, listen, I've come and I've conquered. I've done my part. Now it's your turn. Go do your part. And the only way that you can do your part is when you receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to go be my witnesses, but you first have to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in order to be a witness. And so this is what they did. And so this is, this is Jesus giving the disciples who are, who, are, who are forming the church their weapon. This is him giving the sword. This is Jesus saying, here you go, go do something. And even when we look at, when we look at Joshua, I think you almost have to make this clear. Okay? When, when God says, what's in your hand, it is a sword. You know, I was going to pull in some of those scriptures about Joshua with the sword, but you know what? They're all really bloody. They're all really violent. They're all really about Joshua annihilating the enemy completely. But you know, it's that way in the kingdom. Like we have to see the enemy, not people. We have to see the enemy as the enemy. And we have to see that, that, that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against power. It's against principalities. This is what it's against. So we're not fighting people. We're fighting powers and principalities. But we've got to discern when powers and principalities are working through certain people. And then we've got to speak to those powers and principalities. And we've got to love people. Listen, it's going to be so important that we learn to walk in discernment, y'all. Because some of us... In our, in our learning to walk in discernment or discerning, this is wrong. And then we go on blast, blasting the person instead of the spirit. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Listen, I've heard a, a few politicians speak in the last few days. And can I tell you something? I've heard some, let me be blunt, demonic speech. But it ain't the person. It's the spirit operating behind the person. There are principalities and there are powers at work today, church. 
but they are influencing people. And it's why we have to come back with the sword. What is our sword? Let me be clear on this. I ain't talking about a literal sword here. <laughs> Can I be super, super clear? We ain't talking about a literal sword, y'all, all right? This ain't that kind of church, all right? What are we talking about? The sword that God gives us, the sword of the Lord. What's the sword of the Lord? It's the word. It's the word. So, so Joshua had a sword. He had a physical sword. He had to go annihilate some people, okay? That's the, the, the where he was at and the way he was in. But do you know what, do you know what God said to, to Joshua about his sword? In verse 7 in, in Joshua chapter 1, God speaking to Joshua, be strong, courageous, be careful, do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. According to all the law which God gave Moses and Moses passed on, he's saying, you got to obey me. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. And then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. This is the word of the Lord to Joshua and he's telling him, the book of the law that you have, meditate on it day and night. He's saying, this is your truth. This is your sword. This is what you fight with. So this wasn't just written for Joshua in that day, but this was written for the church today to look at and to say, you know what our sword is that we're used to fight? We got to go back to the word of God. This is what we fight with. This is our weapon. And so what does, what does the word say about life? We were made in the image of God. So anything that comes against the image of God a person is coming against God himself. The Bible could not be more clear about life and it's starting before he, he, we were even in the womb. Like, I know there are many debates out there. There are a lot of things that, there are several things that I don't have answers for when it comes to, to, to life and certain things. But do you know what? God is real clear about when life begins. Before we were even in the womb, he knew us, our life was formed. That's the word of God. So that's what we stand on. It's why we celebrate that Roe v. Wade is overturned. It's why we celebrate because it was in direct opposition to the word of God. Do you realize that? I'm not here to change your mind politically. I'm here to say it goes back to the word. This is what we fight with. It's not about something else. It's not about my belief system or any of that. What was a song that we sang that that said, tear down the walls, shake up my tradition? How many of you know God needs to shake up our tradition? He needs to shake up our church tradition. He needs to shake up our political tradition. He needs to shake up our cultural tradition. Why? So because everything that be shaken will be shaken, and everything that remains is what? The Word of God. This is the moment that we live in as a church. So we go back to the Word of God that is truth. And so God even told Joshua, Joshua, listen, this is the truth. And he says, when you do this, you will prosper and you will have success. Can I tell you something? He wasn't talking about you getting a new Rolls Royce. He was saying, I've called you to take possession of the land that I have given you, but you've got to fight for it. But if you abide by my word, then you will succeed, you will prosper. And that means you will take the land that he has given us. But listen, church, we get lost in it when we've forgotten even what our purpose is. Our purpose is to bring heaven to earth. Jesus brought the kingdom and he said, now you extend the kingdom. 
Jesus is the kingdom of God. Do you hear me this? Listen, I wish I could preach, preach, preach this, but God is humbling me today, all right? The kingdom of heaven was Jesus. He, he is the kingdom. He was the kingdom. He came and he brought the kingdom. And then he said, hey, y'all, go extend the kingdom. And so when the disciples looked at him, they were waiting. They were thinking like Moses, okay, where's your rod? What you going to do, Jesus? Now you're going to zap the Romans. I know you're going to kill them. I know you're going to set up your kingdom. I know you're going to be king over Israel, which means you're going to beat the Romans because we hate the Romans. We hate all those other people. We hate those Samaritans that are only half Jewish because we hate them as much. We hate them more than the Romans, you know? And, 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 but they were, they were half their people. Do you hear me? They, they, they were broken, they were twisted, and Jesus was saying, no, it's not about the kingdoms of this world, it's about the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus came to extend, and the way that he did that, when he looked at Peter, and he said, Peter, he looked at the man who, who 40 days before said, I don't know Jesus, who denied Jesus three times, but Jesus looked at that man, listen, if today you felt any point of condemnation because of your story, something you've been through, something that has happened in your past, just look at Peter. Peter denied Jesus multiple times, said he didn't know them. And 40 days later, Jesus looks at Peter and Peter said, and he says, you're a rock and I'm going to build my church on you and the gates of hell will not prevail. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And when you start the church, you're going to have the keys to the kingdom and you're going to extend the kingdom throughout all the earth. That's the grace and the goodness of Jesus. And that's the same grace that we walk in here today. But church, we have to go back to the truth. I want to tell you one more story before, before we go here. This week we were, um, we, we were at conference all week and it's a wonderful time, church services and meeting people with people and um, for you know, being in ministry, it's, it, it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's, it's what I do, but it's a, this is, you know, it's work. It's, it's, this is what we do. And we're so blessed because Tara's parents came with us to help us with the kids. So the kids came with us. They didn't have to stay at home. And so we had some fun moments with them and, and we were with them. But, you know, um, it's, it's interesting working, having your kids with us in a different city. And so we had some, ch- you know, moments of frustration and things. And <laughs> so the first day we get there and, 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 my littlest one, who you guys, she's not in here, so this is not dishonoring. I'm going to make you a point. So Shiloh's coming to this place where she's just testing everything. I mean, I think, I'm like, she's only eight. I expect this when she's 12, but she, it's eight. It gets worse to help me. I mean, testing everything. And so I had told her four or five times. Tara was rehearsing, and I had told her four or five. I'd told her a dozen times. Don't argue with your brother. Don't aggravate your brother. Like, she's the one starting it now. You know, she's... And so, I look at it, and, so, and so she did it again. And I'm telling you, it was the 12, 13, 14, 15th time. And so I reached out and extended a little bit of love to her backside Amen. real quick, okay? Amen. Caught her off guard. She wasn't expecting that. And um, she looked at me. I'm telling you, she's strong, you know? She looked at me, not a tear in her eye. And she says... Mommy wouldn't do that. <laughs> I promise, promise. She says, Mommy wouldn't do that. And, uh, and I said, Shiloh, I have told you 17 times, you know, you cannot aggravate your brother. You've got to stop. 
And then she, she looks at me and she says, I am not forgiving you. I mean, as, a, as an eight-year-old, I mean, making this about here, I'm just being real, y'all, okay? I mean, as if I didn't know the world could be so, like, centered around a one person, you know what I mean? Like, and I said, Shiloh, you're going to go in the other room, you're going to sit. And I said, and I, wanna, I want you to ask Holy Spirit what you should do. And, uh, and she hears from the Holy Spirit. I mean, she's an amazing kid. Uh, she wasn't walking in it at the moment. So uh, go remind yourself. Go sit in the other room. And so she goes to the other room. And I let her sit over there for a good 10 minutes. I mean, she's sitting on the bed. She's in the other room. And so I go in and I said, Shiloh. And she's kind of half smiling at me, you know. I mean, I know she's been thinking about it. And I said, um, do you have anything you want to say? And she just looked at me. And I thought, oh, boy. And I said, well, what did Holy Spirit say? And I said, did, did Holy Spirit say anything to you? She said, yeah. I said, well, what did he say? She said, Holy Spirit said, Silas shouldn't aggravate me. <laughs> and, and I thought, man, she's, she's holding on. You know what I mean? I mean, this is, at this point, this is like 45 minutes and so. So I talked through it, let her sit, you know, for a little longer, and, and we worked through it. And I'm trying to get, isn't it amazing how, how, your, how your flesh fights repentance? You know, how your flesh just doesn't want to admit you're wrong, and here it is in this. But, but it made me realize how easy it is for us to hear God tell us what other people should do. I mean, at eight years old, she's hearing, she knows exactly what her brother should be doing right now. And we do the same thing. We sit here in judgment and saying, well, they should be doing this. Well, the world should be doing this. Well, the church should be doing this. Well, my church should be doing this. My pastor should be doing this. My, my friend, they should be doing this. If they were, God, that, this is what they should do. And the whole time God is simply saying, listen, I've called you to possess the land. What are you going to do? Would you stand with me? I, I, I feel like, a, here, here we are, church. We're in this place of like, we have to recognize that our, listen, God is miraculous. God does signs and wonders. He does all these things. Two weeks when you hear these testimonies from Guatemala, like, it's going to blow your mind. Um, I've seen God do impossible things he still does impossible things he does but his purpose and his plan is for me and you to bring the kingdom that's his purpose he's given us his word and other weapons to help us fight the enemy not people to fight the enemy not people to fight the enemy not people and to bring heaven to earth but he tells his disciples this he says he says you three times got to be filled with the holy spirit receive the holy spirit he actually tells them receive he doesn't say go find it he doesn't say tarry for it he doesn't say anything he just says receive and and i, and I want to lead us in that in just a moment but he says the purpose you're going to do this so that you will be my witnesses you know that word witnesses in the new testament 30 35 times the word witness is in the new testament 35 times it's translated witness 34 times do you know what it's translated as the other time the one other time the word witness is translated a different word other than witness, the Greek word. It's translated martyr. 
yeah, yeah. This is going to be a rousing end to this sermon, I'm telling you. It's translated martyr. So to be a witness, we think, oh, that means you got to say what you say what you saw. Yeah, I'm a witness. I say what I saw. No. Like, that's what that word means to us. In, in the Greek, what that word means, it means to, to see something. And for that to impact your life in such a way that it becomes truth. You didn't just see it, but you believe it. And you believe it so much so in the truth. You accept the truth so much that you're willing to die for what you saw because it's that true. That's what it means to be a witness. The witness means I'm willing to die for what I saw because it's that true to me. And church, I'm telling you, we got a long ways to go because before we're willing to die for the gospel, we got to be willing to open up our mouth about the gospel. Before we're willing to die for the gospel, we got to be able to love our neighbor. That as we drive to church every morning and we go to church, we got neighbors going to hell. Think about it. So before we're willing to die for the gospel, we got to be able to say something. We got to be able to love somebody. We got to be able to be patient with our kids. We, we got to be able to be kind to one another. We got to be able to walk in joy, the Holy Spirit. So you know what these are? This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we often look at Holy Spirit and we think the power in the Holy Spirit is the power gifts. You know, the, 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 the signs and the wonders and the miracles and faith and the, and the tongues and the interpretation of tongues. But can I tell you something? You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to be patient with somebody. Because you can't do it on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to be kind. It's not optional. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But you need His power to walk in that. It's not just about the gifts. It's not just about the church service, guys. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit residing in us and it becoming so true to us that we're willing to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit wherever we're at. If we're downtown, if we're at a protest, if we're voting, if we're on social media, if we're in the parking lot, if we're in the drive-through, we gotta have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, speaking in tongues is important, but it ain't everything. It's really, really, really important. So don't get hung up on that, okay? Don't get hung up on it. Um, but we need to speak in tongues. Because last night I was scrolling, like Tara said, we were scrolling through some things and I was so grieved watching people. Not the world, because the world don't know Jesus. And for us to try to expect the world to act like Jesus, we're the fools, not them. So what they need is not a law change. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. So I'm not here saying it's only Jesus, only Jesus, and not saying no, because we need righteous laws. We need people to, to walk out in their authority. We need all of that. But what I'm saying, what grieved me last night was seeing the church fight with the church. Do you know that's the one thing that Jesus said, how, we would, how they would know we are Christians? You know, the one thing. It's the one thing. It's not how much we spoke in tongues. It's not how many people we healed. It's not how many people got raised from the dead. The one thing Jesus said, the world would know we are Christians because the way we loved each other. Yeah. 
the way the church loved the church is how the world will be saved. We'll know that we're Christians. So church, I'm here to tell you, we're missing the mark. So the way we hit the mark, what do we do from here? We've got to be filled with Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, it's the only way. We've got to be filled with Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. I want you to speak in tongues. I want you to receive tongues. That's awesome. It's a, it's a sign of it. I believe it's important. Because I, I prayed in tongues last night because I didn't know how to pray. Because you know what? My flesh was angry. <laughs> I was angry. I wanted to play some unrighteous prayers. I wanted to be like Moses when he saw the, the way they were treating his people. And he walked over and he killed the Egyptian because of the way they were treating somebody. I got angry. So my prayers weren't righteous. So I had to scroll through social media and say, because I don't know how to pray right now my flesh is screaming but like I need to pray the perfect prayer and that's only prayed through Jesus through the Holy Spirit so listen we want you to receive the Holy Spirit that's what Jesus said he said receive the Holy Spirit so, so I saw this, this picture I've never done this before ever so this is incredibly frightening it's about as frightening as me singing up here <laughs> I've never, seen, I've never seen anybody else do this before. But this is what I saw when I was praying. You know, there's different kinds of tongues. And Paul said to us, he said, he said, he said to sing in the Spirit. Okay, so there's a singing in the Spirit. And here's what I saw. That as we sing in the Spirit, Holy Spirit comes. Okay, so how do you sing in the Spirit? Well, you kind of sing in tongues. But what if you don't sing in tongues? What if you don't speak tongues? Well, you can sing in tongues. Well, how do you do that? Here's what I saw. I saw us just begin to sing. Sing a note. We're just going to make up our own songs now. We're just going to sing a note. I will sing one note for a long time. I yelled. Maybe that's why I lost my voice. I yelled in church a lot in worship. Like, I, I love it. And I saw this. But as I, here's what I saw. I saw as we begin to just sing to the Lord. I saw Holy Spirit come and just begin to fill. So what I think happens is we be just begin to sing, open up our mouth and sing a note to the Lord. Not in English, but just a, just, a, just a note. The Holy Spirit will come and He will fill our mouths and give us other notes to sing. And all of a sudden we realize, wait a minute, I'm singing in the Holy Spirit. So this is what I want us to do. I've never practiced this. I've never done this before. You all about to tell me if we're ever going to do this again. It's okay to laugh, all right? Holy Spirit can handle your laughter. Some of you haven't ever spoken tongue because you're stuck in your head anyways. You just need to laugh and just receive. So let's just, let's just lift our hands right where you're at. Hey, I want you to join us as well online if you can do this. And, and we'll, have, we'll have Zeke and Selena walk you through this. God bless you. Um, for those of us... In-